dice do you think you could fit in your butt if someone held a gun to your head? Hello and welcome to this episode of the Alien Familiar RPG Podcast. I am Clayton. I'm Jordan. Kyle Perkins. I'm Haley. (laughs) KD. And before we get started, I just want to remind our listeners that you can find show notes and more at alienfamiliar.com. You can email us at alienfamiliarmedia at gmail.com. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash alienfamiliar. I am personally on Discord as DM Scorpio number 0660, and I've created a channel for Alien Familiar Media. But wait, there's more. We have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash alienfamiliarmedia. So if you enjoy our content and would like to help us out with hosting costs, any help would be greatly appreciated. Did you like the cold open today? Would you like to write better cold opens? Donate to Patreon. Give us some cash. I would just like to point out that in our introductions, Haley sounded like she'd been crying as <laughs> if we'd been, like, whapping her with a sock full of oranges. Haley, are you safe? I'm okay. I just laughed myself into tears. Okay. Actual <laughs> tears are happening right now. Haley is, in fact, crying. I mean, it's not a rare occurrence. We also have the hiccups. So our topic for today is we're going to be talking about the worst parts of being a Game Master. And I'm going to start off by saying how much I love being a Game Master. It is the thing I prefer to do when I'm playing the game. I would rather be a Game Master over being a player pretty much any time. It's why I play the game is to be the Game Master. But that being said, we're going to be talking about the things that we all can't stand about being a Game Master. And Haley had the point. Everything sucks! Being a DM is the actual worst. I would rather someone take their thumb and stick it into one of my bruises and twist than me having to only be a DM. Wow. I... That is visceral. How many bruises you got there, too? You got a lot of that sock full of oranges. (laughs) God, and the best part is it makes the whole air just around us smell like citrus. It's really great. It's a good wampum stick, good blackjack. There is a lot to be said for being a DM, but personally, I think there's so much responsibility and care and attention and detail that goes into being a DM, and my constant failures deter me from having enjoyment of it. I think that there is just so much to do. Um, But the main thing that really sucks about being a DM for me is that I just want to play. I started getting into the hobby as a player, and I've only recently started DMing. And I started DMing because my DM moved away, and I still wanted to play the game. So I said, of course I'm going to run the game. But it came from my need of wanting to play more in the world. And it really sucks as a DM because you have to take a step back, look at the bigger story, come up with world and characters, and help your players have the best time that they can have. And That that sounds terrible. It's it's fun, but what hurts for me is that I want to be there with them. I want to experience the story I've created. I want to have fun and explore the world I've made. And that's selfish as a DM to do it because it's not your game. It's for me, it's the player's game. It's the player's story. It's these characters on their journey. And I love the stuff that they come out with, but I, I also want to do that. I want to, I want to be on the adventure and it, and it sucks because I still 
really, really miss being a player. And I haven't been a player in a really long time. I think every DM's probably got that vanity of wanting to play in the game that they are running somehow. Yeah. We wouldn't make the game as we make if we didn't have that vanity, in mm-hmm. my opinion. I, I like to make games... Every now and again, I'll run something that a group like wants me to run... You know, uh, what are we going to do tonight? Like, we can't do our regular campaign. We could do a one-shot, I guess. Anybody have any one-shots? What about that one you were talking about, Kyle? Uh, well, if you guys really think I'm that awesome, that happens all the time. Like, whew. It does. You're a really good DM. <laughs> Fuck I was you. joking. Um, but yeah, I don't think we make games that we wouldn't want to play in. It's, um, part... Then you're doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I think there is something to be said, Haley, about... Wanting to be there and experience the story that you're running with the veil brought back over your eyes. Because as the DM, you are the man, you're the person behind the curtain. And um, you you can never bring that, you know, that uh, sense of unknown back once you run the game. I, I think that there's something very special about running that world you've made that gives you a, an intimate look at it more than a player has. Um, but yeah, like once you once you decide to be the DM, you'll never be surprised again. That's not true. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> yeah, no. As a game master, no plan survives first contact with the players. The players are always going to have something thrown at you that you did not foresee, you did not predict, and therefore you're going to have to do some discovery of the world along with the players, as you make up on the spot whatever is going to get the game through whatever the players just threw at you. And I'm curious if ever anybody else thinks that being a game master has improved your ability to be a player. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. I, I, I legitimately haven't played a I guess it's made me more self-aware of all things not to do to, like, emotionally distress the DM. But I really haven't had that much opportunity to play games anymore. What have you learned that you should not do as a player? That you never, that you, it just wouldn't have occurred to you until you were sitting there in the Game Master's seat and the, a player or the players pulled some shit that you realized, oh my god, I have done that. And I have probably, most likely, pissed off the Game Master <laughs> when I did it. Um, we win their battles by trying to flirt with the bad guy. Um, going off being like, I'm going to do this thing and not tell any of the other players that I'm doing this thing. Secrets are the worst, and they suck. I don't know why you would ever say that. I can't think of a single time you've tried to go flirt with the bad guy. Well, I know, it's a rare occurrence, but the one and only oh, one time well, I Oh, well, hang on, I just checked my calendar. Today is opposite day. You do it all the time. Listen, I have a problem. I, I can't help it. I feel like, if anything, running games has made me not even picky as a player, but like... I know what kind of games I like and what kind of games I don't. Um, And it's made me a lot harder to, like, play in games where maybe the GM's having a massive ego trip. uh, Or expects you to be, like, the spectator sort of player. Where you're just there to, like, roll some dice and, like, buckle up and you're along for the ride. That Um, sucks. And having run games, I'm like, that's not how I like to run games for the most part. And, like... 
I don't like to play in those games either. And so, I guess in that regard, before that, I had been much more willing to be like, oh boy, like, you've got this huge, uh, massive, like, arch-demon plot statted out, and, and we're gonna... I, well, your NPCs are gonna fight him, right? And, and well, I, oh boy, I'm just here to take my spear and stab people sometimes. Boy, howdy, I sure love it. No. I sure hate it. Um, but yeah, that's, 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 that's all I have to say about that. I, th- I think the, uh, you're, you're talking about things that you realize from, you know, the other side of the table, um, having done that. Yeah, there is a bunch of stuff that you see other players doing when you're running and you are aware of, you know, things that you should avoid or go along with or whatever. But I think that's, that's just kind of half of it. Like being on both sides makes you aware of kind of the, the meta game that is the, the negotiation of the narrative between the two sides. And, you know, it's, it's all like, kind of wrapped in this uh in this veneer of rules and you know character action description and setting description and all that kind of stuff but what's what's actually going on is a negotiation between all the people present about what is going to be the consensus reality quote unquote of the game um so i think uh i think being on both sides of that um gives you an appreciation of the the limits of both of those roles Mm-hmm. And specifically about the limits of those roles, before I started game mastering, which was like literally like two sessions I played before I started being a game master, <laughs> but I very quickly learned that the person who is challenging the game master's decision on the rules is a fucking asshole. <laughs> and I had been that asshole. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the first things I learned as a game master is... Don't be that guy. If you feel like the rules are really unfair, you can voice that, but don't just go and question every single decision that the game master makes. It does nothing but bog down the game. That's that's part of the gray area that's difficult to navigate because you know, uh, on the one hand, you know, you've got you've got a, a struggle for for agency going on, and it's not clearly delineated where that goes from I'm advocating for my character and their goals and whatever, and where that crosses over into, you know, being a prick. It's, it's not always obvious. Um, or on the DM side, I'm advocating for the storyline that I've prepared and you guys want to run off and, you know, do something ridiculous. I mean, if you don't speak up, then you're stuck in a situation like Kyle's describing where you're just, you know, strapped into the roller coaster and, you know, not really engaged. So I don't know. It's, it's not, not clear where the line is in that gray zone. But like you said a little bit ago, you definitely learn better how to navigate that gray area. Yeah. Yeah. Or or at least you, you fuck up enough times that you get an inventory of rough rules of thumb, I guess. So, um, as game master, one of the things that you are constantly doing is you're constantly engaging all of the people at the table. You are constantly on. You are constantly thinking. You're constantly reacting to what the players are doing. Constantly constantly hard. That's just you. Oh, (laughs) is that... Oh, that's not... Oh, oh, shit. Should I see someone about that? It's your intervention. 
You're kind of tilting the table a little. Oh, fuck. That's um, why we have so many, like, backgrounds. Guys, it's been, like, 17 hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, it- Was it all the dice up there? <laughs> oh. Mm-hmm. It's Got defined him. as a problem when it lasts for more than four hours. Much like a yeah. game, much like a role-playing game. <laughs> <laughs> Topical. But yeah, for those four hours, you are constantly hard. You're uh, on. You're constantly on. You're constantly analyzing situations, thinking on your feet. It's rough. It's fucking exhausting. Mm-hmm. It, it's exhausting, but I think that it's... I like the improvisational aspects of DMing. The hard part is that when you put something out there and people aren't always going to pick up on the ball, the first rule of improv is, ne- like, don't ever say no. It's always yes and. And sometimes the players will throw things at you. You'll be like, no, that's stupid. But you can't. You have to say yes and and keep the adventure going or else you're going to be stalled there for an hour and a half talking about riddles. I'm not having anything personal that's fine you you seem really hurt by i did that to myself i did that to myself do you you feel good knowing that five people (laughs) who i would describe as at least a somewhat intelligent (laughs) are able to use tools at least and have opposable thumbs myself included Mm. sat there for an hour being unable to solve what was a coordinate puzzle yep it was a simple Germain code. We did find out, though, that LeBron is the goat. LeBron is the goat. It's so. what we spent an hour on in my game. I want to throw out there that I think that the, the yes and policy needs to be scrapped to the dustbin what? of history. Um, I, I saw a, a pretty interesting YouTube video that was a talk. I think it was um, Trey Parker and Matt Stone from South Park. They were talking about narrative structures. And they were, like, directly critiquing the, the yes and thing and instead advocating for, like, a therefore approach. Because with yes and, you just kind of get this snowball of absurd shit that mm-hmm. never gets, like, edited or, you know, <laughs> streamlined. There, there's no filter. It, it just turns into this, you know, rolling That's wave really of nonsense. That's really interesting. Can you send that and to me? The, uh, I'll see if I can find it, but... <laughs> What I I think they were probably critiquing like the the Family Guy kind of way of like mm-hmm. telling a story, whereas in like South Park, for instance, it's still absurd shit. But everything that happens is logical given the things going on in that story, and it's building on itself rather than just being this big flat puddle of you know nonsensical content mm. at the end. Interesting. Um, so there's that. I will definitely link that in the show notes. I have something I want to say in addition to that. Um, basically, the yes, therefore, or is that kind of the vibe? Like instead of yes, and it's yes, therefore, or is it more of... Well, I mean, if something just makes no sense whatsoever, <laughs> it's no, that's no. stupid. <laughs> well, I think the yeah. idea is reactive building as opposed to additive building. If you're just constantly being like, yes, that's true, and this happens as well. Oh, and then this happens as well. You're just building this gonzo thing that makes no damn sense. Whereas if you're taking something that happens, reacting to it appropriately, or in an interesting way, or in some way that would make sense within your universe, you could still have crazy fun, but it's 
reactive instead of just this big fucking snowball. And what you're doing is investing in a thing. You're building it up and, you know, all of it matters because it's all predicated on the thing before it. Whereas, you know, otherwise it's just, oh, let's see what's behind door number three. Okay, here's another wacky thing and on we go. Are kind of in the vein of um, dealing with, like, just the shit that players can present in a game that's completely out of left field. You don't know how to deal with. There's a, like, the meta game itself of dealing with people who are just causing problems at the table, not characters causing problems in the game, because that's the definition of the game, is the characters are, are solving and causing problems. Hmm. But when a player is having is causing problems at the table, it falls upon the game master to be the one to be basically the adult at the table and to talk about things. And I don't know about you all, but that's really difficult to do. It's hard to tell somebody, hey, I'm having a problem with what you're doing and I'm either I'm seeing other people at the table having that having a similar or similar problem or they have come to me and told me that there has been a problem. More often if there's a problem, it's somebody at the table has said something to the game master because the game master's his mind is everywhere else and is not able to focus on whether or not somebody is having one person is causing a bad time for everyone else. The game master will pick up all people at the table aren't having fun right now. Game master probably isn't going to have picked up on whatever one player said that kind of put everybody kind of into an off mode. They're just kind of picking up the pieces after the fact. But it's then up to the game master to take that input and try to talk to that player try to resolve the issue, come up with ways that it can be resolved amicably. But if all of that fails, it comes down to the game master to make the decision of whether or not to have that player continue to be at the game. And nothing makes me feel shittier than telling somebody, hey, I'm sorry, but you can't play with us anymore because you're just, we've tried to give you your, your chances. We've tried to allow you to change but you're just making this not fun for us. I guess some fucking sociopathic asshole out there might disagree, but I don't think it's ever fun to kick somebody out of your game or gaming group or a a session like, you know, you're temporarily banned. Like, it's never fun. And I'm sure some people get on a big power trip and if you do, fuck you. Oh, you're I do, absolutely doing it wrong. do. God, you're I doing love, it. Fuck you, then. You're I doing love it wrong, Kyle. kicking people out and just feeling like the rush. You know, as you look them in the eyes and you're like, you can't ever come back here ever again. I, I think this is outside of the GM's job description, personally. Like, I, I think, mean, you're, you're right. Like, if, if we're all sitting around playing Monopoly and someone was being a total prick, nobody would be like, Hey, banker, can you do something about Jeff? He's a dick. It it's just not well, that is and is uh, that's a very different but in between game. sessions that absolutely does happen. Well, what I'm what I'm saying is that what you what it sounds like you're describing is an interpersonal issue between mm-hmm. a group of people, mm-hmm. and that is outside of the domain as I have ever defined it of where the the DM has authority. They've got authority over this fantasy world that they've created for this participatory activity with everyone. 
but the problems you're discussing are like a level up yeah. in in the real world. Yep. See, I and I, I think it, it's unfair to make the the DM the real world authority figure just because they happen to be the one presenting a fictional I think by default whose role is that? The group collectively. Like everybody sits but down the, and is like, the, all right, Jeff, <clears throat> like we need to have a talk about your behavior. Yeah. If or you know, start with a one-off, whoever's closest to Jeff or whatever, you know, maybe try that. If Jeff has just zero friends. Jeff actually lives in a dumpster behind well, the then, then Jeff needs to go back to the dumpster. I don't know what to tell <laughs> okay. you. Right. See, I don't know. I feel like it's I feel I like in an ideal world it would be awesome if a group collectively could come together and talk to a problem player. But I think it's important that the GM if it is infringing on the fun of the game, the game is your domain. And therefore, as narrative, storyteller, creator, and protector of the game, I feel like it's a responsibility to do what's best so that the majority has fun. I mean, I feel a lot of guilt of not being able to, like, do better by my games because I'm a soft sponge of a person. This entirely depends on how the game was put together and the composition of the players. <clears throat> If it's a pickup game, if you're at a convention and you get some randos together and you decide to run the game, if you are going to stay with a friend and their roommates that you don't know very well, um, and you kind of sit down to run a game for them, if you have a group of players that you've been friends with for years and you've been gaming for years, all of those are different circumstances. And I think only in some of them is it completely appropriate and, in my opinion, necessary for a DM to read the room, look around, no one's going to say anything? All right, hey, Jim, that racist comment you made really made them feel uncomfortable. You do it again, you're fucking done. You're out of my game. Sorry to be a dick about it, but that's the way it's going to be. Like, ideally, the whole group could be like, whoa, you, you did a thing we didn't like. But, you know, if you're in a pickup group, people feel awkward people are going to naturally look to the GM of that pickup group as the person running the show and be like, hey, uh, this thing happened. I didn't like it. You're, you're running this. Can you do something about it? I, I don't think how, ideally how everyone's going to... would your behavior have to be to be kicked out of like some random one-shot at a con or something? Uh, literally, somebody, somebody starts <laughs> like... A lunatic. Yeah, somebody starts being like your, your, your classist fucking racist, fucking lunatic, sexist, like, making rape jokes at players' expense, they're gone, they're done. And as the GM, I think you have a full right to do that. And hopefully, and ideally, and, and most likely, the whole group of players would be like, excuse me for one minute, sir? What was that? <laughs> well, I think, you know, there's there's the whole element of power dynamics, right? And then there's the whole element of, like, how the line's kind of blurry. Mm. And I can only speak from my personal experience with these things. You know, I've been in two situations where I, as a player in a game, approach someone uh, with the intent of, like, having a talk about their behavior and or kicking them out. And the first one was exactly what you just laid out, Kyle, was someone that was, like, making rape jokes and, like, wanting to rape an NPC in a game. <clears throat> and I wasn't the... I was not the GM running this game, but, like, I was good friends with the person that was... And it was also in a scenario in which I had a lot of power. Uh, it was through the tabletop back when I used to run the tabletop thing in college. And so I was able to be, as the president of this group, like, hey, you're out. Like, get the fuck out of here. And that worked out fine because, like, at the end of the day, this person was kind of a shithead weasel. So, like, he wasn't going to say anything. And I had an, and I had a pretend position of authority, essentially. Which is the same with what a GM has, right? Mm -hmm. But it's all on how people view things. And there was another situation in which this person didn't do anything along those lines. 
but they were definitely like kind of a bully and an asshole, you know, and the, the way that they played the game and maybe they had fun in doing so, but was definitely detracting from other people. And wait, was this when uh, the same Wargamers thing when you were president of the club? Or is no, this is a separate okay. scenario. Because in, in the first example, I think that as the club president with the power invest in, <laughs> invested in me. you by the, the <laughs> you're absolutely fucking yeah. within your rights to be like, you're out of the club, dickhead. And which then, right, and that was different. But then this is a situation where it was outside the club, you know, I was just a player in a game. Uh, the GM kind of wanted everyone to have fun, didn't necessarily want to kick this person out. I did not like the way that this guy was handling it, and so did uh, a lot of other people. They didn't like this person. So I wa- I approached this person and began a bit of an argument. And it basically boiled down to them being like, this isn't your game. You can't tell me how to play. If the GM if the GM has a problem with stuff, they can talk to me about it themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, and that is a case where, I guess, not even countering your point, Jordan, but I guess, like, giving some context, like, where this person was only going to accept the GM being, like, you're out of line. Like, so that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Right, but I, but... I think it's wrong to place the burden squarely on the DM just because they happen to be the person that came up with the story, because they got enough on their fucking plate. Ideally, yes, but in the real world, who is going to be the one who does that conversation? It's going to be the Game Master 90% of the time oh, or more. Like, we play here at Kyle's house. If somebody shows up and is a complete fucking asshole, Kyle can say at any time, get the fuck out of my house. So true, but most of the time it's also the game master's house that you're playing in, my experience anyway. I think that anybody should have the ability, right, however you want to call it, to call something out and be yes. like, you're being a total chode. Mm-hmm. I, I would like you out of the game. And if they're just a player and all the other players are there and the GM is there and everyone else is just like, whoa, we all disagree. What's going on with that? They're fine. Well, then you, as a person who had a problem, it's your decision to either leave yourself or try to deal with it, try to work it out, talk to that person after the game, whatever. But I can't think of a situation... I mean, and I guess this is something that sucks about being a GM. If the GM says, Steven, you're done, you're out of here, fuck you, and all the other players, and we'll say it's not the GM's house, because I agree that house owner rules apply. We'll say it's not the GM's house, it's a public place... Everyone, uh, the GM is like, Steve, you're out here, get the fuck. Go, go, get, go, go home. Piece of shit, you suck. And all the other players are like, well, we don't really agree. What's going on with that? I mean, you've got a full-blown mutiny on your hands there. Yeah, well, as you Game do? Master, you, I, I firmly believe that the Game Master has unilateral authority to allow people to play in their game. If everybody mutinies, Fine. Everybody mutinies and somebody else becomes game master. Huh. But as far as long as that person is the game master, they have the unilateral ability to declare persona non grata at the table. Interesting. I, I agree. I think the first burden though is on the the group as a collective to fucking talk it over and do two or three steps before it gets to get the Absolutely. fuck out of here. Yeah, but I'm talking about in situations where you've had those conversations. Mm-hmm. You have told the person, hey, your game style really isn't jiving well with everybody else. I look around and I see people not having fun. Or alternatively, I've had two of the other players come to me and say, I'm having a problem with this. Mm-hmm. The players look to the game master for guidance in the game. And the game master then has a little bit more responsibility in maintaining the cohesion at the table. That's the thing that I have a hard time respecting is somebody that would um, 
go to the DM and basically, you know, tattle to the teacher rather than just like straight up talking about it to a peer. Like there's there's equal footing between players. I don't know. You assume there's equal footing of between players, but yeah. in the real world there are all sorts of power dynamics that are going on that maybe the game master themselves isn't going to perceive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like and what per- if sorry. Uh, like what if it's a f- close friend of the person who is DMing and they're making a lot of jokes that make you feel uncomfortable and you're really worried that if you speak up you'll be be like, well, of course you're being irrational. You're the only one that feels that way. You're the only one being affected. Or worse, it's like, well, this is my very close friend and you and I haven't been friends close enough so that blows up that friendship and you don't want to, like, be the only person that speaks out. It's really hard. I think if you're dealing with that level of situation, you got the wrong friends. You probably just need to find another group. Yeah. Now, I agree with you that sometimes it's it's like a, a new group you've just started playing with. You don't know anybody that well. And you're afraid that by speaking up, you're immediately going to be labeled like the whiner or something. <laughs> but, but a, ooh, like if, if you're, if it's that bad, if you're afraid that you're going to be like shit on for calling out someone for being shitty, um, to use that word shit a lot, um, that, that's a bad group. Not a good, not a good time there. But if you're new to the group and you're, you're kind of getting the feel and you're that player, who do you go to to say, like, has this ever been an issue in the past? I'm experiencing this this issue where I'm feeling very uncomfortable at the table. You're not going to feel comfortable enough bringing, being one person bringing it up to everyone. Because of the, you're new and you don't know whether or not everybody anybody else has that feeling. But you should have trust in the Game Master that the game master is going to listen to you and be honest in that if there isn't a problem, kind of just informing you that, yeah, this is something that's always happened. It, we don't have a problem with it. So then it becomes the player's issue well, of, well, do I continue playing with these people? That's their own prerogative to do. But maybe it is the first person who has come to, who has voiced any issues but once that issue has been brought up other people now feel comfortable enough to have to voice their issue i'm gonna i'm gonna pull this one again i think that it depends on the magnitude of the grievance i've noticed just now that as a podcast i feel like we have a tendency to when discussing hypothetical situations like this immediately jump to the worst case scenario which is i want to point out that I almost never actually use hypothetical situations. I'm almost always referencing something that I have personally experienced. Well, you've got, and that, and this you've got 50 years of game experience on me, so... <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I, I've said before, I'm, I'm running out of situations to think of, because despite my many years of gaming... It's uh, exhausting to be always on, you know, during this podcast. This is this is this is a, a podcast about the difficulty of being a podcaster, right? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> um, well, me then speaking hypothetically, because this has never really happened. I don't hang out with shitheads because I'm awesome. Um, but I, I try to think immediately of like worst case scenario for this hypothetical situation, which usually turns into someone is being exist. You know, like, well, someone's being racist. Like, of course, we're all going to be like, get the fuck out. Um, I always jump there. And in that situation, 
you know, you join a group, they're all friends, you're new. Like, you say you know the GM. One of those people starts being fucking racist, making stupid jokes. You don't know anybody here except the GM. Of course you're going to go to the GM. Even if they're not the GM, you don't know anybody here except your one friend. You're going to go to that one friend and be like, hey, is that person always like that? What the fuck? If it's something that isn't that extreme. Uh, Loot. Loot is pretty common, you know? Okay, we got this fucking sick bow. I'd, I'd like that bow. I, I'm, I think I have the, the best skill here to use it, and there's Steven. Ah, that's mine! Fucking grabs it. I'm gonna call Steven out right there. I'm not gonna, like, approach the DM afterwards and be like, hey, I, um, I've got really good archery skills, and I, I thought it was... I just didn't like that Steven was able to grab that bow. Could you... Could you take the bow back for me? You're gonna be like, hey, Steven, give me the fucking bow. Goddamn right! And Steven's gonna be like, no! And then you leap across the table. Yeah, and I stab him in the eye with a sharpie. Yeah. Yeah, see, but I feel like those are things that, like, when it comes to altering the world of the game in severities or making players feel comfortable in severities, those extremes you keep talking about, I think those are the DM responsibilities. When it comes down to someone's being a murder hobo or looting, you know, that's something you could talk player to player and person to person. So, um, let's get into the nitty-gritty of being, of running a game, and that is knowing the rules of the game that you're running. That's definitely one of the bigger Game Master responsibilities of understanding the rule system of the game that you're playing and being able to teach that to the other players at the table, because unless you're all very experienced role players, there's going to be somebody there who doesn't know the rule system or is not as familiar not as familiar with the rule system as um, other people and it's generally the game master who has that responsibility of being arbiter of the rules and so there's a certain level of expectation that the game master is going to be the person at the table who knows the rules best it's always hard I think one of the things I'm really good at as a DM is I'm really good at plot and story and character, and I am terrible when it comes to crunching numbers. You, we do a combat, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm making shit up all the time. Numbers, math, I got a degree in theater. I haven't taken a math class since eighth grade in high school. Uh, but what I'm saying is, is that crunching numbers and rule running is really hard for me. Uh, last session for the game I'm running, Scion, I literally had a cheat sheet pulled up and I wrote myself note cards and I got like there 40 minutes ahead of time and I ran combat by myself just to make sure I would get it. And I was so stressed out about it because it's one of my flaws as a DM. And I I hate it. I wish that there were games where I could just completely do role-playing. And I know that there are games out there, but I want to have a versatile game style for my players. I want them to enjoy every aspect of a game. And it's hard knowing that that's one of my pitfalls, and I'm not getting better at the rate I want to. That's a very good point. The Game Master is expected to get better at being a Game Master. Yeah. Players aren't necessarily expected to get better as players because you, you very quickly reach a plateau. Yeah. It's hard, especially when you run like a really good game or a really good session, and the next one doesn't quite live up to it, and it, it sucks. I mean, I, I definitely identify with that feeling as well. Like, I felt for the longest time that, like, the first ever game I ran was, like, the best one, and that, like, like 
peaked in high school. Peaked in high school. There you go. Uh, you know, my soul. So, like, you know, ever since then, I've had, like, some scattered successes, but I'm just so unwilling to really sit down and read the rule book. Like, Kyle, I, I may have my disagreements with Eclipse Phase, but goddamn if I don't respect you for, like, actually trying to crack that thing open and learn, like, the system. You know? Like, I have my issues with the system, but I appreciate that as the GM, you sat down and you were like, alright, like, here we go, you know? Did you try to learn a system? <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> you, uh, you tried. Even you know. by the end of that game, I still... F- I mean, I actually did feel as if by the end I had a better grasp on the system, despite having spent weeks reading about the system and the backstory of Eclipse Phase. But by the end of that campaign, I still felt... God, okay. Fucking... Nina wants to do something... I guess I'm gonna have to crack open the rule book. Everyone just talk amongst yourselves for ten minutes while I flip, flip, look at the fucking flip, flip rule book. Flip, flip, flip. I hate that. There's nothing worse than just making your players wait while you dig through a goddamn rule book. You just said there's nothing worse than that. How does that feeling compare to, for instance, having the designer of the game that you're playing sitting there as a player and you've got to make rules adjudications. (gasps) Wait, what? (laughs) When did that happen? Every time I run Apocalyptia. (laughs) Oh! (laughs) I have tried to be of the utmost assistance (laughs) and not critical whenever possible. I don't know. Yeah, that'd be like if, like, you're playing D&D and the ghost of Gary Gynax just shows up as, like, also a player... Um, and any time you, like, nice. fuck up a rule, <laughs> I, I say it. I don't it's think I can ever a It's not pronounced that way. Anyway, I don't know. Like, I guess there, you know, is just a lot to be said for... We're talking about, like, the worst parts of being a GM, and just on the topic of, like, rules, for me, it is really just, like, having to really crack into it. You know, like... 90% of the time, I, I got either a story I want to tell, or, like, I got people that I want to, like, hang out with and, and spin spin some yarns, you know? And unfortunately, for me, personally, the rules are a hindrance to that. Because it's like, now, I, and I know that they're the framework of the universe, and that if you don't have the rules, things get off the rails very quickly. But, you know, it's just, it's it, it's become, over time, a pain in the ass to me. To have to be like, okay, well, like, this system doesn't do what I want it to do. Um, I guess I'll just make something up, you know, or like, you know, oh, I didn't real, I realized I didn't understand the system as well as I thought I did. It's nowhere near flexible as I thought it was. I'll just make something up, you know, but then the more I make things up. Or even like, I don't want to sit there for ten minutes looking for the actual rule. Yeah, I'll, I'll just, just make, make something, something up. up. Yeah, exactly. And so like, <laughs> and then it gets to a point where the system's not the system anymore, and there's no, like fucking uh continuity because i've just been making things up mm-hmm. you know and so then someone you know and, it, and it's bad too if someone comes into the game and go, like if if i'm doing it with a game the same people right eventually those made up rules become like house canon you know mm-hmm. uh but if there's someone that like we're all friends with but like comes in that's played actual 3.5 for example and they're running up against my like very made up version of 3.5 all of a sudden they're just like wait a minute like, wh- why are you doing combat this way? And, like, wait, strength only as a damage, not to hit, you know? And then I'm just like, listen, 
get out. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. Like man, that's been a thing forever in role playing games. I mean, like the only thing that has made this hobby at all consistent is the advent of the internet. But like. People been house ruling shit since the seventies, right. and every fucking group has got their weird little twists on stuff. Oh, I guess for me, it's it's less the twists, and it's more just like <laughs> I don't want to learn the entire system, mm-hmm. so I just start making stuff up, and like that that is not a long term viable solution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it may in the moment. Yeah, current president's doing that. What? Sorry. Whoa. What? what? <clears throat> what? Uh, you, you were saying? Um. You know. Like, it may be for the short-term benefit of, like, oh, good, now I can finally get to the things I want to do, you know, and, like, see how players will react to these sort of things. Like, let's let's see what players are going to, uh, like, what direction they're going to take the story in. That that's, that's where I think, for me, at least as a GM, a lot of the enjoyment comes from. And so then when I'm sitting over there, like, for example, trying to keep combat interesting, I'm just like, okay, you know, uh... Well, we'll use this set piece. I don't think I've used this before. Oh, you're swinging your sword. Are, are you are you doing anything? Oh, you're just swinging your sword. Okay. Uh, you, you swing it sideways. It's like a like a like an offhand grip. It's really cool cut. You know, like that's you know that's kind of what I what I'm getting at is like you're in this combat. Combat can be very fun for a lot of people. I do enjoy combat in, in, in games. But I, I think it takes this, uh, the right kind of person to be able to keep it fresh each time. Like, Abena, for example, you did a pretty good job of keeping that combat interesting since I was playing, you know, two combat characters in a row, and my whole purpose, Clayton, was to kill things. How many ways can you describe how to do seven points of damage yeah, with exactly. a sword? Yeah. You know, it's sweet. Well, again, it shouldn't be on the fucking DM to narrate what a player does in a combat round. If the player says, I walk up and stab it, then they fucking walk up and stab it. (laughs) There's enough workload on the guy to not make him come up with some, you know, kung fu flourish. I I think that's like a poke, Jordan. You you poke him. Just walk, poke, boop. (laughs) But yeah, no, I don't know. That's that's something that, like, I've also, like, apparently I just hate this hobby. That's... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's not what I meant. But, like, you know, I've also been struggling with, like, keeping combat interesting, you know, uh, especially in, like, a rules-light, more of a rules-light game, you know, you're gonna reach a point where you're like, well, I could, like, again, I can only describe how you punch yeah. someone in this way, you know, once, and then, like, sure, you can, yeah. like, throw in some environmental hazards and stuff, you know, like, that's always fun. I think it's but, even worse in a rules-heavy game. Like, for instance... 3.5 D&D. There's only so many ways you can describe two fighters standing toe-to-toe, not wanting to do more than a five-foot step each round, <laughs> and describing what it looks like for them to just stand there and, I hit with my sword. Roll. Does a, does a 14 hit? No, it misses. Okay. Does Next round. Your turn. <laughs> does, an, does an 18 hit? Yes. Okay. Seven damage. Next round. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Keeping it keeping it fresh is. Uh, I, and I, I think Jordan, you're 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 on the right page there. In that, I think people need to players 
need to describe how they're attacking someone a little bit more, or like what they're doing differently, or even a little bit of flavor that. text. I didn't say that. Well, at all. that's well, I'm putting words in your mouth, Jordan. Yeah. So you're gonna accept it. That's a scene. Now, what I was saying is that I I appreciate somebody that says I walk up and stab it and rolls their attack, rolls their damage, and they're done with their turn and they move on. So you're boring, is what you're telling. I me. I would like to get through things, and if someone's sitting there spending thirty minutes telling me how their hair looks as they swing their scimitar, hey, listen, that's very. I don't give I go through, I experience a lot of anxiety leading up to games if either it's a new game or game system that I'm not familiar with or having new players that I'm introducing to the game. Uh, Either new players to the game or new players to the group. I always experience a lot of anxiety leading up to it. My very first game mastering experience, I'm sure I've told the story on this podcast before, but I'm going to tell it again because it's very apropos. I started game mastering the session uh, with my best friends, and about 15 minutes into it, I had to excuse myself so I could go outside and vomit. And then I came back in and game mastered for about another 20 minutes and then had to go back outside and vomit again because my (laughs) nerves were so racked trying to run this game for the first time. That's hard. My players did not discover, did not hear that uh, aspect of the story until years later. <laughs> but that was what it was like first time I ever game mastered. That ang- that level ang- of anxiety has come down since then, but I still experience anxiety for most game sessions. Even a game that I'm very familiar with, I'll still have that if I'm doing something like if I'm doing something new with the rules that I've never really done before, or I'm bringing in, like I'm bringing in house rules that I'm I've made for this particular scenario because the rules were insufficient in this particular area. What you're essentially doing is public speaking, which consistently pulls as the most terrifying thing for anyone. <laughs> yep. I never get terrified, or I never get anxious before the game. I always get anxious right in the middle of it when we're doing a session and I have some cool things planned out and it doesn't go how I want to and then I slowly spiral out of control and by the end of the session I'm just an anxious puddle of death. It's really hard, especially when you have like, oh, like you end the session and you know that, okay, I have an entire week to figure out what the fuck I'm going to do with this game and make sure that every person has agency and fun and is excited to play and it's really hard to conquer your nerves or push aside your ego to have a fun time. Mm-hmm. My ego's massive, viewers. It's very heavy to push aside. So you touched on, like, immediately after the game, like, you, those thoughts go through your mind. Yeah. Um, um, I have I have all of those thoughts every <laughs> single session. I also think about, like, on my car ride home, I think about all of the things that I did wrong during the session, all the rules that I got wrong, all of the um, all of the things I forgot, like the the little notes that I had written of this clever thing that this NPC was probably going to say, mm-hmm. I realized, oh, I had that opportunity when when KP's character said this thing. I I had this perfect response written down right here, but I didn't reference it. That should have haunt you for months. Yep. Um, I also think about all the things that I could have done better, and I also worry. You know what? They looked like they were having fun, but I I know that they really weren't having as much fun as what I was wanting them to have. Mm-hmm. That's my everyday struggle of life. Anytime someone has a conversation with me, 
But something that is always struggling for me is I like to think that it's helpful in the long run, but at the end of my sessions, I always ask my players, what's one thing you learn? What's one thing you want to do next time? And while they can say things that they learned, next thing they're like, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I don't care. When someone tells me that they don't care, what happens next? It's like a death sentence. Yeah. I'm trying to ask them these things because I want to tailor the game to what they want this world to be, what they want this adventure to be, things that they're looking forward to so they're excited to come to the table next weekend. And it's so hard <laughs> when they say that they're having fun and they'll give you like a few things, but like that's just the death sentence when they're like, yeah, I don't really know what I want out of this. It, it, it's that verbal unengaging. Well, I don't know could be a lot of different things. It could be that they're, they don't know, they don't know what they could do next, or they don't have a a firm grasp of, um, they haven't picked up on the story that you have been presenting so far Mm -hmm. or, but I don't care. That is the worst possible thing that, a game master can hear yeah. because it either means that your session and quite possibly your campaign is not going well. So you yeah. might really want to consider ending it because if nobody cares, then there's no really a point for continuing. <laughs> Me either flip the table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, as someone that recently just dealt with uh, a, a scenario in which I had to leave a game uh, because I felt as though. The game master was extremely unapproachable, and uh, despite saying otherwise, uh, didn't, from my perception at least, seem to care about feedback that was given. I think that being seen as approachable is a big part of that. And like, I know it sucks not to get feedback, but you know, if if approachability is a problem and, and people can't come to you about problems or positive or negative feedback, like that's a, a tough situation. And and even beyond that, you know, I think. As a player, when when a GM's like, how did the session go? Uh, unless there was one thing that like popped into your head and you're like, I, I really like this or I didn't like this. A lot of the times afterward, um, if things go smoothly, it's a good thing that they're like, oh, it was, it was pretty fun or it was all right, you know? Because that to them means that, that there wasn't any hiccups in the process, that there wasn't any like, you know, again, this is assuming that you're approachable about mm-hmm. problems. Um, like there wasn't any hiccups in the process, you know, it was a pre- it was smooth sailing. Um, you presented a narrative and a gaming experience that felt like that, and it felt good, you know. But how do you know if your players are being honest and saying, "Yeah, it was great," or if your players actually think you're a piece of shit who's not approachable, and they're just saying that to avoid telling you how they really feel? Well, I am telling you all right now that. At the end of a game session, I legitimately don't have a good, like, I, not a good thing to say, but I don't have, like, feedback. Um, I don't have anything, I really don't have anything constructive to say if things went well. If things went bad, I, I do have some constructive <laughs> things I'll be able to tell you. But if, if the, if the session ends and you're like, how was that? I was like, it was good. I had fun. Um, if you ask for feedback, I don't know. My mind goes blank. I legitimately can't think of a thing to say to you, good or bad, because it went well. I can't think of how you could improve it. Hmm. 
Like, I would probably, you know... Like, if I'm saying, yeah, it was it was fun, you know, I might think of, like, one scenario or thing that I, that I had fun with. Um, but... I don't know. That's just well, my Trying to eke out that opinion is difficult, and it's one of the things I hate. Yeah. Know, trying to get anybody to tell you anything. Like, what, what was a loose end you wish we had addressed? What was your favorite encounter? You know, I just want to hear about how the game was. Because if I finish a campaign, or even a one-shot, and people just like, you know, alright, see you next time, and that was it, that's the end. Some way of getting anonymous feedback feels like it might be like a personal solution to this, but I can't really think of uh, a very good way of getting that easily. Um, And you could probably rig up something like, you know... Everybody send me an email from a 10-minute mail account <laughs> and, you know, just type your responses after this or well, something there, like there's that. There's simple stuff like uh, like straw pool, you know, or doodle pool, I think is what it's called. Doodle pool yeah. is actually really great. Um, I enjoy it a lot. And, and you could probably set something up there to be anonymous and, and be mm-hmm. like, give me like 50 words or less on the session. <laughs> yeah. You know, now I'll be exactly honest. Exactly 25 Get words. somebody to yeah. go home and do that. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. I guarantee you that, that I could do that probably for the first two to three times, but then after that I'm going to start to resent maybe even the GM and the person that made me do it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What if you, you could leave a laptop out on, a, on the table when you finish and just have a Word doc open and be like, hey, I'm going to leave the laptop in the room for like ten minutes while I pack stuff up in the other room. Anybody wants to write anything? That's hmm. not a bad one. That's really good. And that, and that way, too, you don't have to worry about like... You know, every week people are like, okay, here, time to go on Doodle Poll. Did you respond to my Doodle Poll? Yeah. A lot of the things that we keep talking about, I think, is like when we feel like we've had a shitty session. But I think one of the things that really suck about being a DM is when there's like consensus that this was a really bad session and it's really hard to bounce back from it, mm-hmm. confidence wise and story wise. Um, yeah, as the game master, you just want to end the game then. Yeah, it sucks. Play something different yeah. next week. What if you had some kind of app that everybody had on their phone that was just like a little sliding meter <laughs> of like good to bad of how good of a time oh, you're having? God, like live where the, ratings? Where the, where the DM on you know the laptop <sighs> can see like the average or maybe individual that seems I so actually die like I, oh nobody liked that ruling I just made what, why <laughs> am I now thinking of like the running man yeah like just you know we're losing audience members fucking get chainsaw out there this is like a black mirror episode <laughs> Jesus oh man I, and I almost feel like that's honestly I wish for that sometimes though when I'm running the game I see yeah. I would hate that like and half the time like obviously at the end of a game I want people to be happy, and at, at the end of a session, if people didn't have fun, I want people to tell me that, mm-hmm. right? Um, but, like, I'm not going to come up to you after this, and this is just me personally, but I'm not going to come to you after this session and be like, what did you like most about tonight? Give me give me three things, right now. You. <laughs> no, now you. You? Yep. Y- you give me five. <laughs> five things. Like, I I hope everybody has fun, you know, and obviously I... I'm like, like Kyle, I would like to do maybe like a post-mortem at the end, or like, even just five minutes, people being like, yeah, I like this, I didn't like that, you know, or if it's a one-shot, that's, since that's the conclusion, I'm like, hey, what do you guys think of the one-shot, you know, but if it's a, if it's a longer game, you know, I'm, I guess, trusting my players that, that they're having fun as a baseline, and if they're not, that they're gonna approach me about it, you know, um, and 
obviously, and there's also signs, too. Like, you yeah. know, you're not blind. You can be like, okay, people aren't enjoying this. And then maybe you can bring it up. You might be but blind. They're differently able. I actually see with eye stalks that shoot out of my head. So and it kind of just sniffs Oh, the are your existing eyes just decoy eyes? Yeah, like that, like I, I keep them under the hat. Cool. <laughs> I actually can't see any of you right now. Huh. That's good. That's a good thing. Blind people have better imaginations. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> when and how do you end a session? I mean, for real. And how shitty is it when you have to end a session early, like it's time to go, people need to work the next morning, oh my God, it's so and much. you have to end it on just a boring, just dissatisfied note? I hate that. I despise that. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. It's 11 o'clock. I have to leave. Mm-hmm. Yep. So for my first session of the new game that I'm currently running, I had a player who came in and was like, great, I can play exactly three hours, and at exactly three hours, I will leave. And then uh, another player um, realized that they had an assignment that they thought was due, like, two weeks that was due that night, and I had half of my people leave early. And one person was like, yeah, I just don't want to do this anymore on the first session. It's such a morale destroyer. And, I mean, I'm glad I stuck with it, because I think people are having fun, but it's so hard when you have to, when you, when your hand is forced to end a session, and then you have to, like, kind of wrap things up. I also think it's really hard to always end a session on a cliffhanger. Yeah. It's always hard. Because you can never predict exactly how far your players are going to have gotten in the session. Yeah. Um, They could spend an hour doing a riddle, and that's where you end, in the desert. They could spend an hour talking to an NPC you just created two seconds before they started talking to me. <laughs> um, short story. Uh, I created an NPC because they wanted to, like, get their way into a karaoke bar, and now he's been with the players for five sessions. He's joined them in Olympus. He's here to stay. Poor Gregory, who was not supposed to exist. Um, it's hard, but it's also, I think, that's one of the fun things about being a DM, is that the players add to the story in unexpected ways. Um, with that being said, it sucks when you end in a place where you did not see yourself going, and you have to spend that entire week just fretting about how you dig yourself out of the hole. Another thing that really sucks is when your your game session ends with a TPK. Oh, yeah. That's rare. It's very rare, but boy, it's a gut punch to the players and the game master when that happens. But, like, it could also be really cool. I don't know. The only way I think it's really cool is if literally every single player is on board with their character dying, and you as the GM, like, have a clear path forward, or you guys have, like, acknowledged that, like, this is the end of the game, you know, like, like, our characters die here, but, like, stop the big bad or something, you know, then maybe it's okay, but, like, if it's, like, a a combat gone horribly wrong... yeah. No one is okay with that. Yeah. Or, or, uh, unless you're someone that literally, like, sees your character as, like, a, like a sack of numbers. Oh, know? yeah. And no. even then, you might be pissed because you're like, wow, I rolled really terribly, or I feel like the GM fucked me. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I should have gotten out of there. I agree with Clayton. Like, there is just so... There's, like, a 1% chance that everyone's okay with TPK. Uh, see, I'm always thinking about it in, like, a narrative structure. Like, we're all gonna die, but... This is the end of the campaign. I always forget that people can just die at any moment in the game. Most what modern games are so fucking difficult to die in that it, it's highly unlikely. Unless it's something, um, you know, like paranoia or whatever, where it's kind of designed to be super lethal. Yeah. But even then, you got a stack of clones. So, like, 
fifth edition D and D, you're not gonna fucking die. Like, if you get a TPK in fifth edition, then you're playing DM, the game wrong. <laughs> your DM is out to get all of you if that's what happened. I, I think back to the Apocalyptia game you ran with the Heaven or Hell one, mm-hmm. in which there was very nearly the a TPK because, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, one player was bleeding out up by me yep. in the cabin. You know, I'm up there with like a 22 sniper rifle. Kyle and the two other player characters are like currently captured with guns of their heads, and like, had I fucking missed that shot, I think that probably would have at least been you guys going down, and then like either I run away. <laughs> or I just get shot, you know? Like, there's... And, and that's to say Apocalypse is pretty lethal. Yeah. Like... We also almost had a TPK in the Factions game, didn't we? Well, well Clayton could have just murdered all of our primary characters. <laughs> that's true. But, but also, here's the thing, though. About the Faction game would have been, even if that had happened, you know, a lot of us had backup people we could have played. Mm-hmm. So, like, would that have really been a TPK? No. You know, because I would have just switched to my, like, backup character. You had, like, you three... You did switch to your backup character. For different reasons. <laughs> Uh, you know, I guess had Kyle been there, you maybe would have gotten fucked because you didn't really have a backup character. You could have played uh, uh, Nina, y- Jimmy Hawk's right hand orphan kid. <laughs> Jimmy Hawk's right hand orphan, not to be confused with your left hand orphan. Yeah, I think the worst case scenario TPK is like here's this little group of adventurers. They're way off out in the wilderness by themselves. They figured out some critical shit to you know stop the bad or whatever. And then they all fucking die, and there is nobody left to pick up the torch. And that's pretty much end of campaign at that point. Yeah, uh, like, in that case, you know, you you as a GM could, like, maybe pull some heavy strings to, like, make that work. But, you know, it's still tough. I I don't know what you'd do. You'd pretty much be starting over a new campaign in that setting. And if you want to keep the old story as canon, you know, good on you, but... I don't know. It's not a very developed game if that's what kills it, though. You know, that means you haven't interacted with anybody, you've got no connections, nobody knows who the fuck you are. That would essentially be, like, level one, you show up in a town, you get a job to go, like, hunt some goblins, you find, like, the big bad plot hook down here, and then somehow, like, you guys fuck up the goblin fight, (laughs) or or the GM rolls really well, and then you guys just die with the plot hook, you know, and, like, Mm -hmm. then you're like, um... Fuck. I guess I guess they send down another party of adventurers, you know, and maybe it'll go better this time. But and that's in a traditional D and D structure. If we're talking like World of Darkness, depending on the thing, like a hunter game, you know, that could also be super lethal. Like, yeah. what if the first investigation it it could totally happen that you guys get fucked, you know? Like you run up against that werewolf and he's just like yeah. <laughs> And you're dead. <laughs> so I don't know. I think it, it depends. I think you were right, Jordan, that, like, 5th edition, you know, you're, you're probably not gonna yeah. fight it, so. I'm doing that thing now that I was talking about before where I can't help but fucking figure out how to make everything into a role-playing game, and I'm thinking about a campaign that starts, like, we sent some adventurers out to the woods and we can't find them. Go and see what happened. You go down into the cave, you're pulling up rubble. I think I got a wizard over here. You're, like, discovering the party that got TPK'd before you. Damn, that was super- <laughs> Did you just watch, like, the, the 9-11 Ground Zero documentary or something? What are you turning into a role-playing game here, Jordan? Jesus. Just playing the, the second session that started with the I, th- I think that could actually be kind of fun. Not a 9-11 documentary <laughs> role-playing game. But, you mean you don't want to play one of the forensics officers working 12 hours a day in the dump where they brought all the rubble to identify human remains? Roll acrobatics. 
I guess not. <laughs> roll, roll acrobatics? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. We've been ragging pretty hard on what it means to be a DM anyway, but I think the reason why we have so many grievances is because we're all still doing it despite all of my first point, which is everything sucks. Pretty much everyone, nerds in particular, really do hate a lot on the things that they love. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look and at Star Wars fans. Yeah. Look at you! <laughs> Look at me. I'm, I'm, like, just a salt pit. I don't know. I guess it, it gives people a chance to be creative. I can tell you exactly why I Game Master. It is for the look on the players' faces when the story that has been developing up until this point finally clicks in their minds and they get this wide-eyed, mouth-agape expression on their face of, What? (laughs) I've had that happen exactly once, (laughs) and it has made it all worth it, and that is the dragon that I continue to chase when I game master. Hmm. What was it? What was the moment? In uh, the game which I just previously described in which um, there was no presupposition as to whether the players were good or evil. When when Beth's character was discovered to have been um, the wife of the paladin who was opposing the player characters, that revelation, and then one of my other players cried out no hint of irony he was 100% legit in saying, do not trust the paladin. That I had the players so wrapped up in the story that they were questioning everything that was going on and whether it was legit, whether it was whether it was something that they could trust, that they could not trust this paladin who was the husband of one of the characters in the group. Mm. Anyone else have a reason why all this shit is worth it? Just like I said earlier, you know, I, I don't really have that many creative outlets, and so it's nice to be able to put on the thinking hat and try and do something, some storytelling every once in a while. I DM because I like to see my friends every week, but most importantly, I like telling stories, whether I'm playing in them or I'm creating in them. I just like to see the imagination that people can collectively come up with, and I like being a part of that process. I don't know how to program. It's the only way I can make a game. <laughs> I know how to program, but I prefer creating situations and seeing how people react to them. I don't think it's really like a... It's not really a choice. It's just a thing that I that I really want to do. And if I wasn't doing this, I would be pretty malcontented with my life. Um, I don't know. The collective reasoning is fun. And I would be missing something if it wasn't there. All right, do we want to go ahead and wrap it up and talk about some geek stuff that is going on or that we have discovered? So I'll go ahead and start. Since I already mentioned The Last Laugh, which is now on Netflix, it is a um, very good documentary about, um, about humor. And it is primarily talking about people who survived the Holocaust um, and the way that that has influenced like the humor of the Jewish community and like particularly like comedians and um, 
writers and like Mel Brooks in particular is very prominent in this, but also other stand-up comedians and other people who have uh, created humor over the years and how that's basically shaped their cultural their cultural view on humor. And it very briefly goes into like how humor has kind of changed um, in reaction to 9-11 and um, stuff like that. Very good uh, documentary on, on Netflix. Um, and I've also got one other that's a YouTube series by um, Steve Shives. He does a series that is currently ongoing with it. Um, he doesn't release new videos very often called Trek Actually. And he's um, in each episode, he uh, explores some aspect of Star Trek. For instance, the most recent episode that I've watched, there's like 12 episodes in the series, but I recently watched episode four, and it was talking about how Deep Space Nine is one of the best representations of religious tolerance that is available in media. Um, I have something um, that I have been obsessed with since I found out. Uh, a good friend of ours, Olivia. Hi, Olivia. Uh, they offer. They recommended this game called The Quiet Year. Uh, it's by a company called Buried Without Ceremony. Which one? What a cool fucking name! And two, it's run by this uh, woman named Avery Alder. And I bought it because I think her story as a game developer is really interesting. And I think that we need to give more voices to people who who are part of the LGBTQIA spectrum and also just have different views and opinions. And she sounds really cool, but the game is a map building world building game where you're set out to build a community after the apocalypse during the one quiet year when everything has settled in the dust. And it is incredible. I can't recommend it enough. Um, on her website, it's buriedwithoutceremony.com. That's where I bought it. And also, it's cheap. You can use it, you can make it out of like things you have around your house, just some dice, a piece of paper, and some friends. Um, but her other games look really, really cool. It's the length of a short one shot, and it's one of the best world building experiences I've had. Is it free to download, like drive through RPG? How it do is you, not how do free to it? download. Um, it does cost. You can buy it as a PDF or as an actual booklet. I bought it as an actual booklet because I really wanted to support her art. But uh, there is a promo code for people who um, are struggling with money right now, like me. So it's not that expensive, and I honestly think it's worth more than I paid for. I, I, I highly, I can't recommend this game enough. I watched a couple movies recently that I really enjoyed, and I think other people might enjoy. Uh, the first one was Death of Stalin. It's a really f- like funny, uh, like historical black comedy. Uh, Steve Buscemi is Khrushchev. It's great. Um, I'm sorry, Steve Buscemi plays Nikita Khrushchev. Yes. What? Yeah, no, it's great though. Like it, it's very funny, uh, and it's and it's historically accurate ish. You know, <laughs> uh, inspired by actual events. Inspired by uh, actual events. Um, it's just it's 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 funny. Uh, you know, and the humor is like dark, but not like overly dark. Like I mean, it is taking place like after the purges and you know people are talking about like well we Stalin loves us and they're like looking around you know um but it's fun um the other one uh is you know I don't know how widespread this one was I only watched it because it was local but uh it's called uh, Assassin's Code and it is a uh 
modern noir film that tries very hard to be like to like be play homage to older uh you know noir films with like the soundtrack and sort of the character arcs uh involved and the characters themselves um but what the big part for me at least was it was totally shot and filmed in downtown cleveland uh where i grew up so it was just really cool to see that city like featured prominently in a film like that uh rather than being like you know back up new york or something uh and so but it, it's also are you, just a are you throwing shade at avengers Maybe, maybe a little bit. That was like, when I, I was in a film program, uh, and the big thing when people talk about Cleveland would be like, and we got some shots for Avengers, and I was just like, okay. But like, we were just pretending to be New York. That's not fun, you know? Uh, but this film totally embraces the Cleveland identity, so if you're from Ohio or Northeast Ohio, or you just like noir films with a little bit of character, check it out. Okay, so Buscemi is about as skinny as your average meth head. He did put on some weight for this movie, and I dare say that if he had put on more weight, he remarkably does kind of look like Nikita Khrushchev. I'm, I'm floored. This looks awesome. I would recommend a uh, YouTube channel I recently discovered called Dust. It's something on the order of 200 or so short films that are all like sci-fi, horror kind of stuff. Um... I would compare them very favorably to something like uh, Black Mirror, for instance. It's a bunch of different studios that do them. Occasionally you see, like, you know, recognizable, fairly big-name actors involved, and the production quality for indie films is extraordinarily good. So they're not all awesome, but a lot of them are really, really great. So dust. Yeah. All right, guys, why you say we stop this bullshit and start rolling some dice? That didn't sound like a roll at all. It was a rattlesnake. This has been a production of Alien Familiar Media. You can find past episodes and more at alienfamiliar.com. You can email us at alienfamiliarmedia at gmail.com. This production is protected under a Creative Commons non-commercial attribution no derivatives license. Music for this episode is Suburban Outlaw by Forget the Whale and can be found at freemusicarchive.org.